uh, book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row or a seat in front of you. You can uh, take that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can keep it. We are continuing in our series, The Gospel of Mark, The God Who Serves. We are going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. We're going to read down through chapter 3, verse 6. The words will be on the screen for you as well. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand, and, was, and it was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately. That's Mark's favorite word, immediately. Held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study it. I pray for our, for our, for, for our time together. God, that you will just speak to us through your spirit. Uh, God, open our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, to see the beauty of Jesus as we exalt him this morning. God, may we see our need for him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you have seen this conflict, this controversy between Jesus and uh, the religious leaders. The religious leaders uh, were the ones who, they were kind of the spiritual gurus of the day. They uh, were the spiritual leaders. They knew a lot about the scriptures and and they were kind of the, 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 big, the big guys on campus, so to speak. And everyone uh, in, 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 in Israel would kind of look to them for spiritual guidance. But then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he begins to shake things up. Right? Jesus comes onto the scene. He begins to kind of turn their world upside down. And so the religious leaders aren't too happy about it because they see Jesus as a threat to their own authority. Jesus is causing all kinds of controversy for the religious leaders, and they don't like it. Think about what Jesus has done over the last few weeks, right? He said of himself that he was the son of man who had authority to forgive sins, to forgive sins. And then he turns right around, and Jesus has the audacity to sit down and have a meal with tax collectors and sinners, and these religious leaders are like beside themselves. They're like, this dude has lost his 
marbles. He is out of his mind, right? They say things like Jesus is a blasphemer. Because who can forgive sins except for God alone? They said that Jesus was a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they were saying about Jesus. And today, they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law. So let's look at three things from this passage this morning uh, to see this this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders and how uh, Jesus handles it. First, we're going to look at the conflict, okay, the conflict. And then we're going to look at the comparison that Jesus gives. And finally, we're going to look at the claim of Jesus. Again, you got the three C's there, conflict, comparison, and claim. All right, so you guys ready? All right, this is, this is, I love Jesus. This is so good. I love it. Okay, first the conflict. So first we need to go back for a second. It's going to be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. But I want to take you back to Exodus in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, uh, to chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, where God gives Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. And um, the fourth command has to do with the Sabbath, which is what the controversy is here. This is what the conflict is about. And the the fourth commandment states this. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall work, you shall labor. Um, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien, the foreigner within your gates. And so... That's the fourth command of the Ten Commandments. And if you were to continue to read through the book of Exodus and even into Leviticus, you would see that uh, there are other guidelines that were laid out for, people, for the people of God uh, in regards to holy living on the Sabbath. But the overall idea behind the Sabbath is simply rest. Rest. It's, it's to recharge. It's to replenish. It's to restore your body. The land, the animals that you have working with you. But, but here's the problem. Here, here's the problem. See, there's no comprehensive definition in the Bible as to what is considered work. Like, like how do you know if you're working or not? You know what I'm saying? Like, so as you can imagine, many of the Jews wanted to remedy that by devoting themselves to fine-tuning the Sabbath laws to determine, is this legal or not? Like, can you do this or that? They wanted to resolve any gray areas there might be. They wanted to make sure that they knew what constitutes work and what doesn't constitute work. And so they had come up with at least 39 forms of activity. Now, not, not just 39 activities, but 39 forms of activity, man-made Man-made, I want to emphasize that, man-made, not found in Scripture, not found in the Word of God, that they couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of those was limiting the number of steps that you took on the Sabbath. Now, uh, I couldn't find the exact number of steps that were allowed, but they had determined that you could walk no more than about a half a mile. And if you walked more than that, then it was considered work and you were breaking the Sabbath law. And so it's possible that as you read through this passage that one of the issues that they cite Jesus and his disciples for is that they were walking through the grain fields. Apparently, Jesus left his Fitbit at home that day and couldn't measure his steps. 
But the bigger issue, that, that, that's, that's a minor issue, right? But the bigger issue here is that they were plucking heads of grain. Now, they're not stealing, okay? Because, again, in the Old Testament law, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it allowed that if you go into your neighbor's field, you can take some of the standing grain. You just can't take a sickle to it. And that makes sense, right? I mean, listen, if you're walking through your neighbor's field and you are a little hungry, feel free to take a snack, right? You just can't break out the combine and start harvesting, right? You just, that's, that's, that, that would be a problem. Okay? So, so, so plucking the heads of grain in and of itself wasn't the problem, but the question is, is what about on the Sabbath? You see, it was the Sabbath day. If it had been Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, no issues whatsoever. Pluck as many heads of grain as you want, but, but you did it on the Sabbath. Is that considered work? That's the first conflict we see. The next big issue is Jesus is performing medical treatment on the Sabbath. And then if you read Matthew's account of this story in Matthew 12, it's obvious that all of this happened on the same day. Right, so we're talking hours, maybe hours, I don't know, maybe, maybe not even that long, between these two conflicts, between Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields, plucking heads of grain, and then Jesus and his disciples in, this, in, in the, the temple about to heal this man, about to heal this man's withered hand. Again, they had laws about healing. Right, if it, if it was an emergency, you could heal. But clearly, this man with the withered hand, this is not an emergency. Now, we don't know how long he had suffered from this withered hand. We don't know what type of uh, illness it was or what caused it. But, but obviously, he's been living with it for a long time. And so, this is the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day. Like, we're here to worship God. And so, man with the withered hand, you can wait. Right? Come back tomorrow. And then in verse 4 of chapter 3, Jesus asks them a very pointed question. He, he, he looks at them and he says, is it, looking at the religious leaders, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And then in verse 5, man, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key verse. Jesus looked around at the religious leaders with anger and he was grieved. This word anger means more than just irritated. Right? Jesus just, he wasn't just irritated at these guys, but he was furious. He was livid. It's a word for wrath. But on the other hand, what's interesting is on the other hand, the word grieve there means to have sorrow and to be sympathetic. Right? So, so, so here is Jesus. He is a mixture of, of, of fury and wrath. But at the same time, Jesus has Sympathy. Why? Well, it tells us right there, the very next word, it says, because of the hardness of their hearts. These religious leaders' hearts had become callous. They had become stubborn. They, they had become blind. Think about this for a second. Think about what Jesus is about to do. Right, the, the very purpose of the Sabbath was to restore Jesus is about to restore this man's hand, 
And yet the man-made rules of these religious leaders that they had put around the Sabbath law hindered the very purpose of the Sabbath. This this is Jesus' point back in chapter 2, verse 27, when he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath law, just like all of God's laws, are meant to be a gift, not a chain. That they're meant to, to, to be a gift, not a burden. The law of God, the commands of God are not meant to, to be restricted or to be restraining or, or to be a burden, right? That, that God's, God did not put the law in place to be a buzzkill for all of us, right? God put the law in place because he says, this is how you will thrive. This is good for you. Sabbath law was the same way. To show us how we could thrive. The Sabbath was intended for, to help people, to, in, to encourage people, to give them rest, to restore them. Not burden them, not shackle them. It was meant to restore. Well, let, let, let me give you an example, a real life example here, okay, of, of kind of what I'm trying to get across. So I don't know if you've ever tried to play a game, board game, any type of game, whatever. I don't care what it is with uh, a nine-year-old. But let me tell you something, it can be exhausting, okay? Uh, how many of you like to play games? Just show of hands, like most of us do, right? Isn't, isn't when you play, it's, it's fun, it's enjoyable, right? Isn't it fun? It's relaxing, can be relaxing, uh, unless you're very competitive, and then it's like, whoa, okay, take a step back, right? But, but it can be fun. Now, now Jude, my oldest son, he's, he's nine and a half years old, uh, he and I will play a game, and, and, and listen, each game has their set of rules, and the rules are in place there, again, not to, not to kill the fun, but actually to make the game more fun, right? Because the, the, that's what the rules are there for. But it never fails, right? If, if Jude senses that he is losing or is going to lose, he starts to make up new rules, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys, by your laugh, I know you know what I'm talking about, right? He is putting in more rules around the rules that already are in place just so he can win. And I'm like, buddy, you can't do that. That's, that's not right. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. You can do that. You can do that. Right? And, and listen, at that point, the game is not fun anymore, right? And then eventually you just kind of get frustrated and you're like, whatever, man, I'm done. I'm done. L- listen, that's what's happening here. The Sabbath was supposed to be about rest. It was supposed to be about restoration and replenishing and recharging and the religious leaders had put so many rules around the sabbath that people didn't enjoy it anymore they lived in fear of breaking the sabbath because of all these extra rules the the sabbath had lost its purpose it was exhausting it was tiring it was the opposite of what it was supposed to be Like, like listen like jude these, I'm not comparing my son to religious leaders here, but they're just saying these religious leaders felt they had to win the game. That, that's what they're doing. And they put all these rules in place, and then they said, look at us. Look at how good we are at following all these rules. You know why they're doing that? Because they feel like if they can follow all the rules, then God will be happy with them. God will love me. Right? If, if I follow all of these rules then God has to bless me. That's why they're doing these things. And it didn't matter the cost or the burden to others because, listen, they're so wrapped up in their self-righteousness that they missed the point. This is why Jesus is angered and grieved. 
And so Jesus gives a comparison. That's the second point. Jesus gives a comparison. He gives them an example from the Old Testament. And I love in verse 25, you, you should highlight that. It says, Jesus says, have you never read? Right? He's, he's talking to Pharisees, probably found that question very insulting because obviously they were experts in Hebrew Scripture. And of course they had read. This incident that Jesus refers to is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1-6. through 6. We're not going to read it, but it's an incident where David, who uh, this is the, the same David who becomes King David. He's not the king yet. But David is on the run for his life from King Saul because King Saul is trying to kill him. And so he's a fugitive. And, and on this one occasion, he and his men, David's men that were with him, were without food. And so they were hungry. And they show up at the tabernacle. Uh, now, the tabernacle was the place of worship, right? It's where you went to worship God. The altar was there. Uh, it's where you, you, you made all the sacrifices. The priests made the sacrifices for the sins. Uh, there inside the, the tabernacle was the, the table. And on the table was this consecrated bread, the showbread, that was reserved only for priests. And Jesus said, listen, David and Abiath, Abiath I can't say his name. David and this priest guy, okay? David and this priest guy, uh, they get together and they, they huddle up and they're like, you know what, Dave, I, underst- uh, Dave, I understand you're hungry and um, I understand that, that this, this bread is reserved only for the priest, but I, I, I think God would be okay if I left, just ate it. I, th- I think God's grace is, is bigger than all of this, right? Would you guys agree that God, God is bigger than, than that? Would you agree with that? It's kind of a gray area. You know, you got hungry men out here who might die I got bread in here that's consecrated that, that only the priest can eat, but I think, I think God will be okay with this, right? So, so, so Jesus is like, hey, David went in and the man ate the bread. And now Jesus uses this comparison not as an excuse for what he's doing, but as an example. Because listen, in the Pharisees' minds, David was this great hero of ancient Israel. Right? David was their, was their idea of an ideal king. They, 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 they kind of held David in high regard, like David was the king, he was the man. But, but what has Jesus been preaching since chapter 1? Jesus has been preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, there is a new king in town, and this king is going to fulfill the old kingship. Right? This is, this is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has just as much authority as the priest did to decide what's right for his disciples. Just as, they, just as the priest and David got together and was like, you know what, I think it's okay if you take this bread. Jesus says, I have just as much authority as the priest to decide what's right for my disciples. Jesus says, I have just as much authority as great King David when it comes to when they decided to eat the bread. Right? Jesus is basically telling these religious leaders, he says, listen, I am not bound by your interpretations of the law. I'm not bound by all these rules that you have set up around the Sabbath day. When it comes to interpreting the law, Jesus does not need to consult with the religious leaders. For goodness sakes, Jesus made the law. Right? right? He gives himself the absolute right and assurance to constitute what is and what isn't a Sabbath violation. And that brings us to the last the last point here Jesus' claim verse 28 highlighted as the key verse 
in this passage, Jesus said to them, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Like Jesus says that and it's like boom, mic drop, right? It's kind of mosey on along. This is huge what Jesus says here. Because when Jesus says this, they would have been like, hold up, wait a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. Isn't God, isn't God Lord of the Sabbath? And see, Jesus is directing them to think about the origins of the Sabbath, which we'd have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Gary, you can pull it up on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And it reads like this. It says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does it mean that God rested? Do you think God was tired after creating everything in six days? Do you think he just kind of like, I need to recharge? You think that's what it was? I mean, God doesn't get tired, right? I mean, you and I for sure need to rest. We need to recharge. We need to replenish, right? That's not what that means here. God, God did not need to sit down and, and take a break and recharge. You see, the Hebrew word for Sabbath, uh, it, it comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease. To cease. And so when it says God rested, it means that nothing more needs to be done. It's perfect. It is finished. And so when Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying, I made the Sabbath. And I am sovereign over the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I am your rest. But Jesus is also pointing us forward to the rest that he is going to provide by going to the cross to die for our sins. For you Bible scholars out there, when Jesus goes to the cross and is about to take his last breath on the cross, what does he say? It is finished. It is finished. It's done. Nothing more needs to be done. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is your debt has been paid. Through Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, that Charlie read for us at the beginning of the service, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does Jesus, going to the cross, give us rest? Because, listen, ever since the fall of man, back in Genesis chapter 3, ever since Adam and Eve tried to sow fig leaves that day to cover up their nakedness to cover up their guilt and their shame every single person from that point forward has worked tirelessly to achieve something listen you're here this morning and you have worked tirelessly to either achieve approval approval from family friends co-workers, or you've worked tirelessly to achieve 
your worth and your value in what you do in your career and your job and success, whatever it is. You have worked tirelessly at it because you're trying to see, you're trying to find validation or, or you're like the religious leaders and you just, you just having a rough time believing that God loves you as you are and not as you should be because you'll never be as good as you should be. And you feel like, man, if I could just, if I could just do these things, if I can just, you know, do, do these, whatever you've put in place, like the religious leaders, if I can obey these 39 commands, right, then, then maybe God will love me. Maybe God will accept me. And you've been working and exhausting yourself over those things. And on the cross, listen, Jesus says the jury has been dismissed. The verdict is in. The debt is paid. We can stand before God with his righteousness. That is the good news of the gospel. Everything, everything that you are working so hard to achieve is found in Jesus Christ. That's how he gives us rest. He is our Sabbath rest. That is good news. That's freeing. That's our living hope, right? That we can be set free from, from trying to achieve and trying to find worth and value and other things. And, and we can understand that, 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 that Jesus took our guilt and shame on the cross and and we can just rest in knowing that God loves us because of what Jesus has done for us. And so what does this mean? How can we apply these things from this passage to our life? Well, first and foremost, I would encourage you today, man, if you are carrying a burden, if you are exhausted, if you're tired, Jesus extends the invitation and says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, man, I want to invite you to come up this, after the service today, and let's chat about that. We can baptize you today. We can pray with you. We can encourage you, whatever you, whatever you need. Our prayer team is available as well. They want to pray with you. Man, that's what I would encourage you to do, first and foremost. Let Jesus be your Sabbath rest. Secondly, Jesus does not want us to put rules around rules for other people. Listen, I, I want to be very clear on this. The Bible does have commands. And we are called to obey those commands out of a loving relationship with God. Not out of trying to earn your salvation, not trying to earn God's approval, but we obey and follow God because of His love. He loved us first. And so out of this loving relationship, man, I want, I want to obey for the one who loved me and died for me. That, 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 that's, that's out of that type of relationship, right? So, the, so the, there are commands. Now, you might, listen, this is a good thing. You might have some other rules outside of the commands of God, outside of the commands of Scriptures. You might set some other parameters, other rules for you personally, okay? For instance, you might be convicted that sugar is bad. And therefore, you are going to stay away from, from food that is processed or, or has a lot of sugar. Good for you. That's great. But you cannot impose those rules on others. You can't make that an absolute. You can't say, well, I was convicted on this. You should stay away from Put that Twinkie down. <laughs> right? You, can't, you can't, 
can't put that burden on others. They don't share that same conviction, right? Because you, you can't make them feel guilty or less because they're eating sugary foods. I have a, I have a good friend. Another example is I have a good friend, um, childhood friend, who we, we talk regularly. And, and you know, he, he just really wants to grow in his uh, Bible reading and prayer time. And so we've talked through this. And he's just a very busy person. I said, listen, I said, you've got to set aside an hour in the morning, whatever it is, and you've just got to block it out. And if people want to meet with you and they, they say, hey, I can meet with you at this time, you say, you know what, I've already got plans because you've blocked it out. You're going to spend that time with the Lord. And he said to me, he said, I want you to text me every couple days and say, hey, man, are you, are you keeping up with the time? Are you in the Word? Are you praying? That's a good thing, right? But, but listen to me, that's something that he is convicted on. That's something he wants to do. So he can't go around imposing that on everybody. He can't say, man, you know what? You need this time every morning. It's different for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So he was convicted on that, and that's what he's doing. So we have to be careful. But listen, where the Bible has commands, where the Bible has principles for us to live by, yes, yes, we need to, in love, work together on how to live out those commands and principles. And the best way to do that is in community. The best way to do that is in small groups. The best way to do that is, is you're in a group together and you're studying the Word of God and you've got some parenting issues and, and you're like, man, my kid is just off the rail crazy. I don't know what to do here. Then other parents can step in and say, you know what, let's go to God's Word and see what it says. And we can encourage each other and pray for each other and love each other. Right? See what I'm saying? So that's the best place to do that, man. If you're not in a small group today, go see Joe. Joe Pop, raise your hand. Stand on the chair, Joe Pop. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. <laughs> All right. Finally, finally, this is it, and we're going to wrap it up here. You ready? Thirdly, don't miss the forest for the trees. Man, that's, that's what the religious leaders did. Listen, God is not impressed when we get all the details of our religious rituals right, but then we get everything else wrong. Right? He's just not impressed with that. The Pharisees were detailed people, and yet their hearts were far from God. Like they, they had it down to a T. Right? They, they, they said, okay, staying away from sinners, check, did that. Obeying all 39 rules of the Sabbath law, check, did that. And yet they had no sympathy for hungry disciples and no compassion for a man with a withered hand. You see, their hearts had become hard. And listen, that's what we don't want to happen. We don't want to be so caught up in the religious rituals of things, right, that, that man, I attended church 52 weeks out of the year. I'm in the Bible app 365 days this year, man. Wow, that's awesome. Or that I tithe on my gross and not my net. You know, I'm look at me, right? You know what I'm saying? What, whatever it is, God is not impressed with those things if your heart is far from him. And listen to me, I, I want to go back to that question because that is a very pointed question Jesus asked. And I think he can ask the same question of us. He says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? In other words, are you going to be with me? Are you going to be on my side or are you not going to be on my side? What are you going to do here? And it says that they were silent. But listen to me, even though they were silent, we see their, their answer because it says that as soon as Jesus healed the man, what did they do? They went out 
and they plotted with the Herodians to put Jesus to death. Talk about irony. Right? They're upset that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, and yet they are plotting to kill him on that same Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? I'm serious. How, how, how crazy is that? In, in this, they're so focused on the tree in front of them that they missed the forest. They missed Jesus. Think about how foolish this was. That they're so caught up in their self-righteousness. All this, all this knowledge about Scripture had puffed them up. And they made rules on top of rules to show how religious they were. And they criticized Jesus, the one who made the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He is their rest. And they're criticizing Jesus. Jesus is the one who made them. He's the creator. And they are criticizing him and planning and plotting to kill him. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. We need, we need to grow in the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus. That's important. And the way to do that is by studying the word, by living in community, by growing in the gospel, by being in discipling relationships with each other. But listen to me, the purpose of all those things is so that we might become more like Jesus. The purpose of those things is not to puff you up so that you can say, man, look at me. Look how much Bible I know. Look how awesome I am. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to make much of Jesus. The purpose is to, to fill yourself up so that you can then uh, pour into other people who are going through tough times and difficult times. Right? That, that's the, the purpose of it. It's, it's about self-forgetfulness. It's, it's not about you. It's about making much of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for your love. God, I pray that your spirit will continue to move in this place. God, help us reveal areas in our life. God, we're... Man, we're just, we're, we're striving and we're working tirelessly. We're exhausted because we're trying to achieve something, God, that we already have in Christ. Help us, Father, to lay those things down. Help us to find our rest in you. Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Help us to grow in our knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, our prayer, time, uh, our, our prayer team is here. They would love to pray with you. I'll be up front. I'd love to chat with you. I want to invite you to stand and let's sing the chorus or verse of this song here.